Okay, so as I said, we're, we're starting a new series here. The last year we were looking at pieces from the Shemesh Shmuel. This year we're looking at pieces from the Svasemis. Okay, so just to introduce briefly, the Svasemis was the Ger Rebbe, the second of the Ger Rebbe's. He was the grandson of the first. His father had passed away very young, and he was brought up by his grandfather, known as the Chidush Arim, Rabbi Meir of Ger. Um, the Svasemis was a giant, both in Halacha, his Chidushim on, on Shas, we have, and that was only a tiny bit of the material that he produced. Um, his writings and the writings of his son, the next day, the Imre Emes, uh, many of them were lost in World War II. There are records of an attempt to bury them in metal milk cans in um, Warsaw, I believe it was, but uh, they've never been found. I know people have tried going looking. Um, perhaps someday we'll be zochet to those. We have the Swasemis on Shas, and we have the Swasemis, that which is so widely learned, are his talks that he gave at the Titian on Shabbos and on Yontav. Um, Ger was a very, very large Hasidus in his time. There were hundreds of thousands of Ger Hasidim throughout Poland. It's funny, people go on trips to Eastern Europe, and they go to Ger, and they see that Ger is actually a fairly small place, and the shul was fairly small. On big uh, occasions, people, only the older people could go into shul and other people would stand outside. Now, the Svasemis was speaking to an audience that combined tremendous Talmud HaChachamim and very simple Jews. And part of the magic of his Torah is that it can be understood legitimately on many, many different levels and can be transformative for so many different types of people and many different levels. He was brief, okay, and that's what makes the Sefer so challenging. It wasn't written as a book to be read, so to speak. It's almost like you're reading his notes on what he said, but with a difference from your regular, let's say, rabbi who prepares notes for his talk, he would write afterwards, okay? Now this, I can't say for sure, but I do know that there were tzaddikim like this who didn't particularly prepare or lay out what they were going to say. The Torah came out, and afterwards they wrote, this was the Torah that came out, so to speak, at Shalashudas on this week, or on Friday night at this week. That's somewhat the sense that you get here. There are additions now that fill in some of the references, because it refers to things from all over. So our piece tonight is, is fairly short. We're going to try to take a look at it, and expand it, and apply it. So he starts, like many, many of the pieces do, with a medrash. Okay, any of us don't learn Medrash. I refer to Rabbioni Modis who's working on it hard and spreading it. And the Hasidish Rebbe's would often dip into their for their starting point. So we'll read a strange Medrash. Preshis Rabba. Omar Belazar Barchanina Beshem Rabacha. Belazar Barchanina said the name of Rabacha. Esrim Beshisha Doros, Hoiso Ha Aleph, Koret Tagor, Lifneki Soshila Kurish Borchu. For 26 generations, the letter Aleph protested before the throne of HaKadosh Baruch Okay? This is strange enough already. Let's just fill in why 26 generations. There were 26 generations from the creation until the giving of the Torah. Okay, those are the 26. They correspond to the 26 Kilo Lom Chastos in the Hodel Hashem Kitov. What was the content of the protest of the letter Aleph? Amra Lefanov, the letter Aleph, said to HaKadosh Baruch Ribbana Shalom Ani Rishon Shal Osius. 
with all due respect, Master of the Universe, I am the first letter of the Aleph Beis. That's why we call it Aleph Beis. I'm Aleph, right? And And yet, when we look at the beginning of creation, you open up a Chumash, it starts with a Beis. Many Chumashim even do a nice fancy calligraphy Beis, giving it lots of honors, the first letter in the Torah. Amr la HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered the letter Aleph. Ha'olamum lo'olo nivra ela bischusata. The world, which world means universe, umlo and everything in it was only created, bischusata means in the merit of the Torah, which means for the purposes of the Torah. Shenemar, as it says in Mishlei, Hashem bechachma yosad oretz. Hashem founded the world with Chachma, or the B can be explained as Bishvil, for Chachma, for his wisdom. Said HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the letter Aleph, L'machar Nibalitain Torah B'Sinai. This conversation where Hashem finally responded to the 26 generations of protest was the day before the giving of the Torah. He says, V'eni posech t'chila elabach, and I am going to open up the giving of the Torah with you. Anochi Hashem Elokecha begins with the letter Aleph. Okay? That's the content of the Medrash. So, again, it's important to look sometime at the writings of the Ramchal about the Agadites of Chazal, that they were often written in a way that seems to people ridiculous or childish in order to keep away people who shouldn't be dealing with the ideas that are in the Agadites. This almost <coughs> seems cartoonist to us with the letter Aleph marching around with a sign, I protest. And how does Hashem's answer, so to speak, appease the letter Aleph? When we open the Chumash, we still see a Beis in the beginning. It's true, there is an Aleph of Anochi Hashem Elokecha stuck there in Parshas Yisro in the middle of Sefer Shmos, but the Beis is still first. So here's what's being explained. He says, Lirmos ki ba'aleph As Rashi brought down from Chazal, HaTorah Kodma Le'olam. So this is a very, very important basic foundation in how we're supposed to view the world. The idea of the Torah coming before the world is not just a chronological um, continuum. It's causality. The world was created in order for the Torah to do that which is supposed to do in bringing Hashem's plan for the world into fruition. There needed to be a world for the Torah to be expressed in, so to speak. And that is how we're viewing it. This is already a revolution, because many people in the world view religion, let's say, as something which is an aspect of their life, right? Something which improves life. People will say, yes, religion gives me values, gives me traditions, gives me holidays, gives me different things like that. Judaism is not really a religion. Right? Revolba, I've quoted this before, he said that a religion, he described it as the blind gropings of creations to contact or influence a power. Torah is instructions for the purpose of the world and our role in fulfilling that purpose that came to us from outside of this world. It came from beyond the world. One interesting formulation of it is the Beis HaLevi, the Yosef Dov HaLevi Soloveitchik's explanation of the answer to the Ben Rasha. In the Haggadah, you have the four sons. And the Ben Rasha, that son, I use the word wicked, it sounds 
too Halloweenish somehow or something. This uh, this uh, oppositional son asks, Ma What is this avoda, this work, this service to you? Okay, so he explains that the question is, listen, this is pretty ridiculous, isn't it? A few thousand years ago, somebody got out of Egypt and their bread didn't rise. And for this, we're cleaning our houses like crazy and getting stomach aches from eating these crackers. Is it, why? What's the point of this? The answer is given as the Pasuk. Said, you don't understand. The mitzvah of matzah and the mitzvah of not eating chametz were not invented because of what happened when we came out of Mitzrayim. What happened when we came out of Mitzrayim happened to bring into the world those mitzvahs. Those mitzvahs were there before creation. Those are an aspect of the very foundations of the world that we're supposed to be applying. Okay, so this is what's being said over there. So now let's take it back to the protest. The protest is one that we should be able to sense. We don't look at the world and see Torah. We see Beis, Bereshis, the world of nature, the world of the systems. Torah isn't seen, Torah isn't sensed. It's there. What's revealed by the fact that Anochi, the giving of the Torah starts with Aleph, means you have to change the way you look at Beis. That world of Beis, that world of nature, that world of Teva, the world we can touch and feel and smell, we view that as our world. We view that as, as reality. We view that as it. It says you have to realize that that's simply a subsidiary to something which comes far beyond it. And that's the way you're supposed to look at the world. But it's more than just looking at the world. And this is how the Svasemis continues. He says, Kamochen. Okay, part of the difficulty in this book called Bereshis is it's not written as an instruction book, a recipe for how to create a universe. Every description in there, in these very few sentences describing the most gigantic processes that ever happened, are there for us to learn something, not just as spectators as to what they are, but for what we're supposed to do, because we're also creators. Okay? The Nefesh HaChayim in the first chapter speaks at length about the idea that we're called Tselem Elohim, in the image of God. Right? What does that mean? Do I come, I look at you all here, and I say, wait, you remind me of somebody? <laughs> God! <laughs> That's what you look like. What is Tselem Elohim? And why does it use that particular name, Elohim? Why not? Tselem Hashem, Tselem HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Tselem... He says, because Elohim is the name which is interpreted as the power behind the other powers. In this world, human beings are powerful. We are also meant to be creators and creative within that which was created. So when we learn about how Hashem created the universe, so to speak, we in our small universe are supposed to follow that template. Therefore, when I get up in the morning, I have to work in the world of bays. My toothbrush is in the world of bays, right? My car is in the world of bays. My job is in the world of bays. All these things are there. But I have to remember that there's an aleph before it. And before any interaction with the world of bays, I'm supposed to have an aleph preceding it. Okay, let's uh, illustrate the Kotzkarebi 
right? That um, really this whole chain descended from his Talmudim, both the Sochet Rebbe, who we were learning last year, the Shem Shmuel, and the Ger Rebbe's. So the Kotzka Rebbe had said, you know what I would like from my Hasidim? I would like to be able to stop them at any point in the day and say, tell me why you're doing what you're doing now. And they'll have a reason, and it'll be a Torah reason. Okay, now that's a very high level, right? If the Kotzka Rebbe would pop down in front of me in the middle of the day, I would probably, oh, I don't know. Or something, I would do that. something. Why are you eating potato chips? I don't know. It's hungry. I don't know. Bored. I don't know what I would answer. But in reality, it is true, right? If we look back at it, let's let's take a, a statement that Mayor Prenerschland said about uh, the davening on Rosh Hashanah. He says, really, if you scratch the davening of a Jew on Rosh Hashanah, scratch beneath the surface, you know what you're going to find? Money. <laughs> he says, let's be honest. I need money, Hashem. But he said, if you scratch the money, underneath that you find Torah. Meaning, it's true. The things that we are doing, we're often not aware of it, but everything a Jew does in their life is for the purposes of Torah. We just don't notice it, and we don't put it into the front of the brain. We don't bring it up into active memory. Why are you eating? Who are you? You are the living Torah in this generation. And you have to fuel that. And you have to bring it into practice. And you have to apply it. It's true. It's a very high level to be able to approach it. They say, uh, Rabbi of Karlin was once visited by a chassid. And he gave the chassid an apple. And the chassid ate an apple. made a bracha, he ate the apple. And he thought, you know, why is the Rebbe different from me? I have an apple, I make a bracha and I eat the apple. The Rebbe has an apple, he makes a bracha and he eats the apple. So the Rebbe senses his question, he says, the difference is, you really want an apple, and you remind yourself, oh, I've got to make a bracha. He says, I really want to make a bracha, and I say, oh good, here's an apple. Okay, now again, that's a very high level, which is there, but what it means is that every interaction in this world should have that reason before it. And this is a very beautiful way to live. Okay, because what this is telling us is the following. Everything in this world can be and should be an expression of Torah, an expression of our destiny in the world. But you have to try to remember that and to think it, and then that's going to change the way you do things, right? If a person understands that, let's say, their business life is part of it, the Torah guides us in every single step in our world, and by, if I have talent for business, which I don't think I have at all, right? And I apply it and I do it and I do it according to the Torah and I have the interactions. So that is bringing that aspect of Torah out into the world. But clearly then I'm going to have to perform my business in the way that the Torah wants because I'm doing it for the Aleph. This is only base, right? Oftentimes, you know, there's this, okay, you know, business is business and Torah is Torah. Let not the two intermix. That's not the view that's being described here. Here, everything from how we eat to how we walk to how we talk to how we dress to every aspect of our lives has an aleph before it. And that aleph is the connection to eternity. That aleph is the connection to that which is so far beyond what we have here. And that's why it's written in that way. It was written Bereshis because the Torah was sensitive, but the Svasema says, pay attention. If Reshis means Bishvil HaTorah, that's how Chazal darshaned it. 
Bereshis, Bishvil HaTorah Shenikres Reshis, for the Torah that's called Reshis, because the Apostle calls the Torah Reshis Darko. Why do you have to talk in code? Say, the world was created, Bishvil HaTorah. He says, because it's not just for Torah. It's for the process of Torah being the Reshis. It's for the process of Torah being the beginning of everything that you do and living your life in that way. That is what's meant to be here. Okay, and um, he says, therefore, there's new Torah in the world every day. We say in Davening, HaMechadesh Betuvo B'choyo Maisabreshis. HaKadosh Baruch who's constantly renewing the creation every day. What's Betuvo in his goodness? He says, that's with the Torah. There are constant new facets of Torah coming out into the world. The world in general, in our own personal world. Different things we're doing, we're involved in. I'm not the same person that I was the previous day. And therefore, the way I apply Torah in my life is not the same as it was the previous day. There's that constant newness, and that's what's behind the very situations that are happening in my life. Sometimes people look at Judaism and think that it's some strange kind of like game show that we're put in. You have this huge list of instructions, okay? Eat this, shake that, say this, don't do that, right? And eventually your points get added up and you get to go to eat kugel or couscous in the gandain of your choice, something like that. That's, that's not what it is. You're going to be applying the Torah to the situations that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is specifically giving you in life to bring the light of the Torah into that and to transform those things. Let's explain it a bit more. Just today I saw something from Moshe Shapiro that I believe helps me understand the Svasemis much better. He speaks about this word Bereshis, and it's, it's a strange word because we're all familiar with what the concept of what's called the Asara Mamarot, the ten utterances of creation, okay? Such as Yehi Or, let there be light, right? Yehimayim, let there be water. So you come up with nine of those Yehis. Where's the tenth? So Chazal said, Bereshis nami maimarot. Bereshis is also a word of creation. Okay, but what was created with that? So he explains that that is the very roots of all creation. That is that creation that we call yesh mi'ayin, something from nothing. And interestingly, the Svarno and the Vilnagon and others say, that what we can sense of that creation is the creation called time. Time is also a creation. We exist within time. Time was created with Reshis. The word itself implies that. The beginning implies a process that is going to go on that in our world means it takes time. It's going to be going from point A to point B, and that takes time. The Ramban says that Bereshis, that initial creation, was the creation of something that the Greeks called Hiuli, which I thought means olive oil, but it doesn't, right? Hiuli means this kind of primal matter, formless primal matter from which everything becomes. Okay, now, what's the depth of that? Why go through a two-step process of creating everything or that which can become everything and then it becoming? So Moshe Shapiro explained very beautifully the following. He said, we don't understand the world in the right way. We view the world as something which is. We view ourselves as something which is. 
What's explained here really is that everything in the world is actually a process and not a thing or an existence. Right? That's what he says. It's based actually on a tshuva of the Rashba that he writes. He says, the Bria he be'etzim lo metzius ele mahalach. The world is not what we call a reality, which implies something which is set. Everything in the world is meant to be a process. Everything in the world is meant to develop from point A to point B, to bring something out, to change from one status to another status. So therefore, everything that we're looking at is a status. This sounds very hard to grasp. He gives a beautiful example. If we look at a candle, okay, a candle that's a nicely made candle, and it's a room that's not so windy, and I'll ask you, what's on top of the candle? Say, a flame. A flame isn't a thing. A flame is a process. What you're seeing is a process. The fire that you see one second is not the fire that you see the next second. What you're seeing is the wax and the candle melting, going up through the wick, burning constantly, bringing that heat and that light, which is there in potential in the candle. That's what you're watching. But to us, because it's a process that goes continuously, we look at it as a thing. He says, that's really the way everything in the world is. Everything in the world is a process. Everything in the world is meant to bring out that which Hashem created it for. And the idea of the Torah, Bereshis Bishvila Torah, is that is what unlocks the process for everything. That is what brings things out, enables the world to fulfill its purpose, and therefore stops it from being something finite and connects it to the infinite. Bereshis, that moment of Reshis, is really the connection to the infinite. And the Torah that we have is our connection to the infinite. Many people were singing just now in Simchas Torah, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu implanted within us eternal life. It's there. Even though Adam and Chava were originally going to be eternal, but they had to shift into a process because of the chet that happened in the beginning. So too, all of us are eternal, but we're part of a process that's leading to eternity. The connection to Torah is that which enables us in this finite world to be constantly working with that which is eternal and to be bringing out within ourselves that connection to eternity which is there. The world is a process from a beginning to an end. And we've spoken previously about the importance of knowing that the world is heading somewhere. That's a very key part of who we are, that animamin, right? Why is it so important to believe that the world is going according to a plan, that the world is heading someplace? Because only in that way is there some kind of meaningful process. The entire exercise of our lives, of the world, is to bring that potential into the process. In many ways, it's always like fire. Fire takes a piece of wood, let's say, unleashes the energy in it, right, and brings it to what it's supposed to be. So this is who we are, and that's what we're supposed to do. So now we can see an entirely different way of life. 
Judaism isn't just something that, okay, I'm Jewish, what can I do? So I can't eat this, I have to eat that. The joy that we're supposed to experience is having the ability to connect, to transform everything we come in contact with and everything really which is beyond us because the repercussions of our Torah are not limited and to transform these things into their part of an eternal process. We ourselves will be part of that. Reishis, the very idea of beginning, implies that there is an end. And that end is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite. And we ourselves, our true essence, are a chelik elokamimal. We have a spark inside of us that's that godly soul that's part of Hashem. That's who we truly are. So instead of this being confusing or frightening, we should find this uplifting and energizing. Everyone has this at every moment. There's no moment in which a Jew doesn't have this. That's the beauty of Bereshis. I saw somebody quoting one of the tzaddikim who said, people get it wrong if they think that dancing on Simcha's Torah is celebrating all the Torah that I've learned over the past year. Okay, that, that's not what it is, you know. In football, we have some British people, I should say, in American football, right, there's this whole process that when a goal is scored, right, that people do this whole kind of victory dance and throw different pieces of their equipment around and such. So some yeshiva bachrim somehow feel that that's what Simchas Torah is about. I learned a lot this past year, yay me, and I'm going to jump up and down. I said, no, the Simcha is about the idea that we're beginning. And the idea of beginning is always there and always new. Right? And that is always your connection to eternity. When Am Yisrael are called right, the children of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's a very, very powerful statement. The introduction to Paro of who the Jewish people are. B'ni b'chari Yisrael, my firstborn son. Bonim atem l'Hashem elokechem, the Pesach says, you are children of Hashem. Wait a second, right? How... Can we be children of Hashem? I mentioned once a friend of mine was approached by missionaries on the New York subway. He said, would you like to know the Son of God? He said, honey, I am the Son of God. Right? It says in the Pesach, right? It's, uh, but what that tells us is that we are also eternal. But we're finite. We're in a finite world. We're in a finite body. That's true. Our eternal self is here doing these things. The enemy of Am Yisrael, the ultimate enemy, is called Amalek. And the Pesach describes Amalek as Reishis Goyim Amalek. He is the beginning of nations, Va'achariso Adeoved. But his end is in being lost. Why? Amalek's grandfather, Esau, said, Hine Anochi Yolech Lamus, Lama Zeli I'm just going to die. Why would I need this birthright from Yaakov? These are the two visions of the world. The vision of the world that stops at death means I exist. Things here exist. Whatever I can do here counts. Nothing else matters because there is nothing else. Our idea is entirely different. Reishis that leads to an achris. Henga alti eschem achris kereishis. HaKadosh Baruch says, I will begoil you, I will redeem you. In the end, exactly according to the plan from the Rashis. It's there from the beginning. It's constantly there. 
and it's constantly going. It takes twists and it takes turns. But we have to know that every twist and turn that we're taking is there for that purpose. And therefore, even the darker times, even the more difficult times, all those things are eternal. I was reading Morgan Stern's book. Alex has that book also a bit. It was very difficult stuff. But it was somewhat comforting. He says, you have to realize on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, there will be obstacles and difficulties that don't let you do what you think you will do. He says, but if you can embrace those things, realizing those are sent by Hashem for, to shape and form that of all that you're going to be doing. Those themselves are an expression of Hashem's will. Those themselves can be turned into something eternal and beautiful because that's how you develop that eternal self that's supposed to be. Okay, so this is a difficulty in our world. We live in a world that screams, what's here is here, what isn't isn't. That sense of self that we have, the constant worry about everything which is here. Again, this doesn't mean Jews never step out of the world. We don't become monks. We don't become nuns. And the idea of, okay, if this world is so limited, why don't I go to the eternal hereafter, right, by some type of process, is anathema to Jews. Every single moment of life in this world is precious to us, even if we have limited functionality. Because eternity is still accessible in our limited functionality. It's there in whatever we're able to do, in the tiniest thing that's there. So this is how we're supposed to begin our cycle of Torah. Bereshis, with that idea of how we see everything and how we live our lives. That we have an Aleph before the Bays in each time. And uh, this is what Chazal call Divrei Rishus. There are many things that the Torah doesn't seem to talk about. It doesn't talk about playing tennis. There is no mitzvah, thou shalt play tennis. Nothing says, thou shalt not play tennis. So we think, okay, Torah doesn't care if I play tennis or not. To do that would leave a tremendous vacuum in our lives. Divrei Rashus, which is the term that Chazal used for such things, is mistranslated poorly as things of permission, that the Torah gives you permission to do it. Torah says, you know what, you deserve to have some fun too. Play tennis, I don't care. Everything in the world, right, the Chavos HaVavos says, is going to end up either positive spiritually or negative spiritually. The difference between a Devar is that I'm in control. I can make playing tennis part of my eternity. If I do it for the right reason, if I approach it in the right way, if I do it in the right way, that racket, that ball, that court, my sneakers, my schwitz, everything that's there becomes part of that eternal process. Okay, so this is what the Kutzker meant when he said you should have that Aleph before your base. You should have that reason which is there. And it is. It really is. Like Rav Meir Mitprem said, we ourselves forget it because we get caught up in what the world calls the rat race. I once saw a bumper sticker that says, even the rat who wins the race is still a rat. Right? Which is why you don't want to be in that rat race. But we're caught up. But we don't take a second to stop and think where we come from, where it all comes from, where it's going to. Those very big thoughts that our mind really steps back from wanting to think because they're too big and we can't understand the world beyond time. We can't understand the in-sof. We can't understand infinity. 
But the very fact that we have a connection to it, and that connection is the Torah, that's really what we're dancing about on Simchas Torah. That's what we were dancing about. I always give this image. I think back, I grew up in Boston in the 1970s, so I went to the show of the Boston Rebbe, that's all. And um, at that time, there were a lot of young seekers. It was kind of the tail end of the, the hippie generation. And uh, lots of people from the local universities wanted to come in and see what was happening. So imagine the scenario. Somebody comes into the shul, sees people dancing around with the Sefer Torah, and he says, uh, what's that big velvet pillow people are dancing with? They're saying, my friend, that's not a pillow. Inside there's a scroll, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. That is our everything. And we love it, and we dance with it, and we kiss it. He says, oh, could I read it? I said, well, I'm not going to open it up for you, and you wouldn't understand anyway, but we have an English translation right here, right? Read away. So he opens it up to the end of Parshas B'chukosai, or Parshas Kisafa, where you have what you have, the Tochacha, which is the portion of the Torah which says what will happen to the Jewish people if we don't follow what we're supposed to do. And there are a huge list of terrible retribution, diseases and murders and curses and exile and all these things. And he's looking around the shul, people dancing, kissing the Torah, saying, people are crazy. What is, what is with you? The Rashis helps us understand it all. It's all started with the Rashis. And it never stops being part of that process which is there. And if we see it that way, and we live it that way, then we bring it to life. We bring the eternity, that even it's in our most difficult circumstances, into life. And that's our goal, which we have. Many people speak about the month of Cheshvan. They get bummed out because there are no holidays, particularly in Cheshvan. And that's why they say one of the reasons they claim it has the nickname Mar Cheshvan. Right? Some Mepharshim do bring that down. There are other explanations for it. In the Chernobyl dynasty, they would call it Rom Cheshvan, lofty Cheshvan. Why? Because now is when the rubber hits the road. After your understandings of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Simchas Torah, now you have day-to-day life. Day-to-day life isn't mar. It isn't bitter to us. It's rom. It's elevated. Because when we've become elevated, when we remember who we are, and we return to the Bereshis, so then everything, every day, gets elevated much more. So wishing everybody a wonderful, elevated and healthy and happy winter, and we'll be able to continue bringing the reishis all the way to the Akhris.